Hi, I'm Wilson Lai. I'm Benjamin Yap. I'm Eli Sands. You're listening to Deep Cut Avengers Assemble. <laughs> <laughs> joke for me (laughs) it was in the script and i had to read it um but here we go welcome to our justice league episode baby (laughs) so usually we discuss either director's most well-known movie or a personal favorite but today what the hell do we get ourselves into tell us eli (laughs) we're watching Zack Snyder's Justice League. Yeah, boy. And we're here to talk about it with our friend, Russell Goldman. I was today years old when I realized that Avengers and Justice League both mean the same thing. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Um, Russell, Russell is a writer and director of a number of short films such as Summer of Connor and No Comment, which have screened at festivals like Holly Shorts and Frameline 43, and he has worked in collaboration with Rain. He also writes essays on movies and pays close attention to the nuts and bolts of the Hollywood blockbuster, which makes him an ideal choice to join our conversation today. Uh, you can find a link to Russell's work on his personal website in this episode's notes. Okay. <laughs> wow. Thank you, Eli. How we feeling? Welcome, Russell. How, Hi, Russell. Uh... Welcome. <laughs> hey, guys. This is fun. <laughs> I like this movie. I don't know what any of you think of this movie. <laughs> I had a great time. We united the seven. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> How do we begin? <laughs> well, let's let's talk about why you wanted to talk about Justice League or Zack Snyder's Justice League. Because you uh, Eli came to us saying that Russell really wants to do a Justice League episode. And I, remember I was intrigued. that the other way around. I, oh, I, remember, okay. I remember Eli oh, saying yeah, that I, he wanted to do I, an episode. <laughs> okay. I think, I think that I, I when I saw it and I saw it the I saw it in two parts the night it, it, the two nights it came out or night one and night two. Um, nightmare. I, nightmare, which oh. is which the, the future sequel that Snyder <laughs> will never get to make. Nightmare. Oh. I, went, I talked to Eli about what a incredible redemption arc this movie is for not just Zack Snyder. I thought a lot about when this movie would have come out in whatever form, his movie in 2017. And obviously there's, I feel like everyone kind of knows the whole, a lot of the saga around how the film was recut or taken away from him. He stepped away from it. Years later, he gets to do a, a more full version of it than ever could possibly have been theatrically released. Mm-hmm. And I feel like at this point in time, for this movie to come out on HBO Max reflects a, as pure a director's vision as I have seen in a superhero film in quite some time and lends itself to a lot of conversation that I think is genuinely interesting that I have not feel like I've not heard in many circles yet. I feel like people are either like so in the tank for this or, <laughs> and always have been, or they don't want anything to do with Snyder. And I, I am a convert. I did not like Ooh. anything that he really made sort of, I, I liked his first film, Dawn of the dead until this movie. And then everything that Snyder has done clicked for me with this film. 
Wow, that's high praise. By the way, this episode was brought to you guys by HBO Max. So just so you guys know, we're being we sponsored. <laughs> That'd be nice. <laughs> so we can't say anything bad. No, I'm just kidding. Um, I, I agree with a lot of what you said, Russell. I think that this is a big win for our tourism in superhero cinema. Reading about, I guess, how Zack Snyder had to leave um, the original Justice League um, because of his daughter who committed suicide and how Joss Whedon sort of like took control of that first film was, and also like now knowing the like horrible practices that he had on set, um, this does see, feel like a massive redemption arc, not just like cinematically, but also just in real life and with these people. And I'm really glad that he was able to like finally like have his vision come to life. And I think there's just so many things just from even like the like simple like tone setting in the scenes that just where he like stamps down his like directorial mark. Like, I don't know who who else uses maybe 70% slow-mos in the whole scene. It's pretty ridiculous, but incredible at the same time. I'm glad that studios still have faith and are still willing to like put money for directors to realize their visions. Eli and Ben, what do you guys think? <laughs> <laughs> I think the key here is, and the thing that I agree with, it's is Lois that Lane. This is, what? Uh, oh, the key is Lois Lane. <laughs> <laughs> I think what both of you touched on, which is key, is that this is an auteur's movie. I think of all the superhero movies that have come out in recent memory, this is one that doesn't feel as much made by community as something like from Marvel. Yeah. Like even mm. the indie directors that they bring on who are supposedly auteurs themselves, they get chewed up by the Marvel machine. But here, this is a Zack Snyder movie. It's in the title. <laughs> and so you can really feel it. I mean, with the slow-mos, but I think also in its very distinct vision of what its world is and the mm-hmm. tone that it's taking, it's very specific. And even when you think about the way some scenes are shot, it doesn't feel like lazy filmmaking that sometimes the Marvel movies can be. Even though they're very enjoyable, they can feel like big-budget TV. Yeah, This feels like big-budget movie, which is cool. <laughs> I want to bookmark this idea that you raised, Ben, about it feeling like it is more crafted by an individual than other superhero movies. I think one of the pieces of context that we should be talking about is how Snyder benefits from the change in DC's approach from 2017, the initial release of Justice League, to their approach in 2020 to 2021, when mm-hmm. they're really, they've decided to, they've decided to do the opposite of what Marvel's doing, and instead of have a coherent approach, give individual license to different directors to take the same characters, sometimes the same actors in the same roles, and make it more individual. Now, for my opinion, (laughs) I frankly feel a little ambivalent and a little bit nebulous. I definitely appreciate the singular, (laughs) the singularity of it. 
and it is absolutely distinct and of Zack Snyder's vision. I think there's a lot that I can appreciate about it and also acknowledge that it's not exactly my taste. <laughs> just like but... see Eli in his face, just like searching for something good to say about this movie. <laughs> just say you hate it. <laughs> I, I don't I don't hate it though, because there there are look, I think I think one of the things I struggle with with superheroes in general is the exceptional person take to superheroes and I frankly had trouble nailing down if Zack Snyder looks at superheroes critically or adoringly. I think I've heard a lot about him being um, either libertarian or Ayn Randian, where he upholds the idea of the exceptional person who has to have their way. And then I've also heard that he is critical of superheroes and wants to present them as messed up as possible. And I see both. I see glorification and I see criticism. And it's hard to parse out meaning from it, I think. And then on the other hand, there are ways that they make that he takes in this movie the heroes that are huge and makes them small. I think in particular Ray Fisher as Victor Stone and Ezra Miller as Barry Allen, Cyborg and The Flash respectively, are both good at taking these uber mensches and bringing them down to more of a human level, at least. But I, I think that's more in the character construction, right? Because there's so much weight to a Batman, to a Superman, to a mm. Wonder Woman, versus, like, Cyborg and The Flash are young heroes. They're, like, supposed to bring the levity and, like, bring them down to Earth. I feel like this is an unpopular opinion, but I found both of those characters highly insufferable. Hmm. <laughs> And I was reading past reviews of the original Justice League cut, the theatrical cut, people saying that the Flash was the bright spot. And I was like, not really. He was really annoying. <laughs> and ben, that's he generates I... lightning. He's literally the bright spot. <laughs> can I can I ask how, have any of you actually Show seen Show who has watched it? Who was yeah, yeah. I have not seen I've it. Seen it. <laughs> I have seen it. Okay. So Maybe it's not a coincidence that Wilson and I are higher on this film than uh, Ben and Eli. We've also seen the lead and cut, and I don't. You guys have not. I have not. Okay. No, I don't. I think that a lot of the praise of this cut has been in contrast to the lead and version. Yes. Yeah. Obviously, that was a very compromised film. There are singular scenes where you can see just like the state of Ben Affleck in, in his life and how <laughs> there are certain shots of Batman within the same scene where Ben Affleck looks like a completely different person. Um, and also the lighting is different. And also it's so, it, it is the most obvious you can tell who was behind what in that movie and how there was really you know no vision that Whedon was bringing to um, what was a studio mandated two hour version of what is such an expansive story. Yeah. Um, the thing that I really like about this movie, thinking of it on its own terms, and, I, and again, I do not know how he or anyone at Warner Brothers expected to bring a version of this movie to theaters in the first place in Snyder's true form, is that it sort of feels like one of those like roadshow movies from the 60s. It mm. feels like Ten Commandments. It feels mm -hmm. like these like insane... Like, you're just kind of looking at God's movies. Mm -hmm. That's how I think Snyder, for the most part, thinks of these characters. 
I think he thinks of it in the same terms as like Sophocles. Yeah. Where it is these like, like their fallibilities are as big as their strengths. Hmm. They are not the kind of ground level characters that you see in Marvel. And that's, of course, the big difference between how those two companies approach things. You get a little bit of that with Barry Allen and Victor of like more ground level relatable characters. And that might be the praise for those characters might be due to that. But I think there is something to praise. And there is something that I understand a lot more about Superman in this film as a symbol than has been treated in Man of Steel or Batman v Superman, (laughs) where you could describe Snyder's opinion of Superman as a a not particularly great as like. (laughs) But but is it, though? Because that's what I can't pin down, because I really like when you when you say that we're looking at gods, I I go back and forth on whether or not Snyder is looking at the gods in awe or disdain. I, I think really it's both. It can be both, right? I think it's both. Yeah. Because I feel like Zack Snyder's filmmaking operates on extremes, right? Like, so whatever emotion he chooses, he just goes 100% in that direction in trying to portray that emotion. It's highly melodramatic filmmaking. Mm-hmm. And also, like, highly effective in a Hollywood blockbuster because what you want as an audience member, like ideally sitting in a theater is that maximum impact and that's what Zack Snyder is trying to do and is I feel like is able to swing between like these opposite views of superheroes and I don't know successfully able to portray that to the audience I think there's an argument for the way that you're framing it Wilson as like actually maybe that's more of a responsible take to really swing very far towards positive and very far towards negative alternatingly. Yeah. Hmm. I mean, I like this approach of them being treated as gods almost. And I think that's why I find the trying to humanize Cyborg and Flash stuff really annoying. Mm -hmm. I think the Flash, especially for me, in his like trying to be funny kind of stuff, really pushes the grimdark tone away from itself. Which I wish it didn't. I want it to be, if you're going to go four hours of Grimdark, just do four hours. Don't give me five minutes of not funny humor. So that's kind of like my, I wish this just went full on. Like, it's great. It's dark. Everything sucks. These people are scary, but they're trying to save the world as well. But I I will say, though, that the cyborg stuff does do, I think it's it's a slightly more human tone. But it is as like brooding and dramatic and like yeah. as as the stuff with Wonder Woman and whatever. I think that that story with Cyborg, that backstory and the through line that you Cyborg, because the movie is actually too short, we didn't have enough time to set it up in a convincing way that it became this like very quick. This guy hates his dad. He hates being a cyborg like one minute and you got to just believe that and, and get behind it. And I couldn't. And I kind of wish the movie was half an hour longer so I could get behind that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, add another chapter to that yeah, shit. Yeah, I think we yeah. needed that. Because now it's been too quick. <laughs> Just add three more epilogues. <laughs> we'll get to that. We needed three prologues. <laughs> and to your point of wanting it to be grim all the time, like, I guess my view is, like, a superhero team-up movie, like, brings together all the different genres of 
these like separate superhero films, right? Hmm. What you want to do is ideally strike a balance, which is easy because for the Marvel side, because Avengers, everyone has been like sort of forced into the same tonal mold mm-hmm. yeah. where it's high stakes, but still lighthearted for the most part with the characters um, and they're able to have banter all the time. Whereas what I enjoy about Justice League is how far apart tonally these characters are and how Zack Snyder manages to juggle that together. And like you, you like see it in the, the comics. It's a, it's a similar thing, but I'm glad that they chose to emotionally root the film with Cyborg and sort of with Barry Allen because they're the two people or the two members of the Justice League that haven't had their own feature films. So this is sort of like their showcase, um, which is pretty great. I think partially that's the problem. Like if they were introduced on their own terms, on their own movies, maybe that would have helped I guess. this work without having to do all that setup within this one. Then it would just be yes. they meet up and then they're trying to figure out the problem together. But then this one has to introduce two new characters, give them enough stakes, and then finally save the world. So like it's like a lot to do even within four hours. It introduces Aquaman as well. Oh yeah. No, Aquaman had yeah, his Aquaman James Wan's film has not, not happened yet. James Wan's film is so fun, guys. It's, it's like really it, good. I like, I like it so much. It's my favorite <laughs> of the DCEU. Yeah, Whatever wait, including is. this? I, I think that Aquaman, I, I put yeah. a notch. I like James Wan a lot. I think mm-hmm. that he is, he's kind of in that like singular Snyder mode. I think his stuff is a little more palatable yeah. towards yeah. Um, maybe newcomers. Um, <laughs> but that's the stuff I really like about DC that's in Aquaman. And in this, where it's like really kind of gonzo, cosmic, very self-serious, but in a fun way mm-hmm. like it loves its own exposition <clears throat> it's yes. not embarrassed by it the way yeah. that a you know downey jr would like mock it in a marvel movie kind of way right. it right. loves that shit right it's it's differently toned for sure yeah. but i i think that aquaman's my favorite aquaman's the best yeah. character in this Proof yeah me wrong. he's so I he's so great those scenes and also, in the first part yeah. actually and they have like low-key the lighthouse energy like, honestly, oh. <laughs> and I think this characterization of Aquaman as a drunk who doesn't give a shit, awesome, <laughs> like really dope. Ben, have you seen his movie? You should watch no, it. I it's really not. fun. And I still don't really great. care enough to. But <laughs> no, there's a scene where they like I don't know they airdrop into a Sahara desert. It's like incredible. Like what's the song that's playing? I Wait, I what? forgot, but it's incredible. It's a remix of Africa by Toto. Oh yeah, yeah, it is. It is a <laughs> remix God. of Africa. <laughs> I get it. Yeah, the, that's what's to expect. We should talk about music. It's very <laughs> on the nose. Wait, uh, no, I, I don't know what you're talking about. Every time the Wonder Woman shows up, I thought that she got a a, a proper understated entrance that was not No, not even that. The whatever the uh ah. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> sounds like the beginning of immigrant song. Where it's, I guess it's supposed to be Themyscarian or whatever. Yes, I. I don't know. I really love the Wonder Woman theme. That's like that was like one of my favorite parts about her solo movie was the the theme that they gave her. Um, and I think it worked every time because I'm just like yeah, yeah, fuck. Like Wonder Woman's gonna fuck shit up now. Like let's just watch her do that. But like yes, there's no denying that it is very heavy handed in the use of its music. But like this 
just goes back to what I was saying about how Zack Snyder tries to go for maximum impact all the time. I think it works. I mean, like, even though, like, as a whole, I don't like the movie, but, like, I think it works. It makes sense. I, I'm going to say off of your point, Ben, of um, that you wanted these other characters all introduced beforehand. I think that they're, and I noticed this when I was revisiting some scenes the other day, the four-hour version of this film, which is the version that we have was maybe not intended for theaters, but is the version that we currently have. There is something that I really do appreciate about how the first hour of it is we don't meet Flash or Cyborg yet. You're setting up a lot of Superman has died stuff, a lot of the more brooding stuff of um, the mascara getting erect by Steppenwolf, who we'll get into. He's a good guy. Oh, we will. Oh, yeah. Thick. And then when you really feel the apocalyptic stakes and you understand, like, the fate of every galaxy is at play, that's when you are introduced to Cyborg. And that is when you're introduced to the Flash as these key components of characters that, like, for plot reasons, are very important towards saving the fate of the world, but pointing towards optimism. And that is the thing that I really like about this movie that is not present in the other Zack Snyder superhero films that I think he himself is discovering Mm -hmm. that between those characters and using Superman as the resurrection of him, that is as the source of optimism, as a source of like hope for the future, you're finding hope and you're finding faith in this very extreme Snyder world. And that tonal balance, I was shocked how much that worked for me. (laughs) (laughs) I'm thinking now about how flash is introduced and i wrote notes on this it's a great scene it's a funny Mm -hmm. scene but then i realized like immediately as i was watching i was like the first time we meet flash his first villain is a burger (laughs) when you really think about it it's a burger (laughs) yeah (laughs) and that whole scene set up really weird like with him making eyes at this lady outside i was just like what (laughs) i get where it's going but it's so it shows its hands so quickly and that it's not really interesting and then she's gonna die and then he does his whole thing. But yeah, anyway, it was a weird scene for me. <laughs> I think, Ben, I respond to a similar kind of thing that I tracked across the movie and I don't necessarily say this as a problem, though I think in other movies it could be. There is a lot of inorganic moving of characters. I found myself asking a lot, why is this character doing this now? I think a small example of this is that when when Batman, Wonder Woman, Cyborg, Flash, and Aquaman are talking about the box and the possibility of using it to bring Superman back, they're all explaining the rules that they have suddenly understood together and they're finishing each other's sentences Mm -hmm. going around in a circle. (laughs) There is some arm twisting of the characters to meet certain beats in ways that took me out of it. Mm -hmm. And on a related note, I do have a concern that Nerdwriter brings up in a video about the 2017 Justice League, which is that the characters do have powers that overlap and they fight in similar ways with some exceptions. Batman doesn't have anything to do in the finale. (laughs) Yeah. He can't do anything. (laughs) He can just shoot his guns. Shoot some stuff. They all have super speed. They'll punch real hard. No, Barry has extra super speed that the other characters don't. <laughs> yeah, but Wonder Woman is basically the Flash as well. It's crazy. Like, in that first scene, you see her saving those people from bullets. Yeah. And then I was thinking, whoa, she's fast. <laughs> so what the hell is the Flash bring to the table? 
which I guess they do answer that question, like what does yeah. he bring to the table? Judaism, um, baby. <laughs> There's one space where Aquaman is very successful. I'm not sure if you guys noticed the water. <laughs> okay, that this part where he water. comes to save them from the underground thing, that felt very contrived. Like, this is how Aquaman oh. comes in. He... He suddenly gets flushed into the scene and you're like, okay, he's here now and he's going to join up. He wasn't really fighting Steppy over there. He just came at the end of the fight. That, that, that was his, he was refusing the call. Hero's <laughs> journey shit. He was refusing exactly. the call until that moment. Very triumphant yes. decision to start fighting with them. What, what I'm trying to like put my finger on is that I reacted a lot of the time with a sort of feeling of, okay, I guess this is happening now. And being able to submit and go along with that, I think, is part of the experience. Mm. And mm-hmm. it can be fun. I think it's hard, <laughs> it's hard for me to turn off the part of my brain that's like, uh, right. but I'm not citing it necessarily as a problem. Have you seen a bunch of the, have you seen the Marvel superhero movies, Eli? I've seen I've seen a handful and also it's one of those things where I've like seen so many clips of them on YouTube because the scenes are written well. There's good dialogue and there is good causal linkage and making sure that we understand why characters are doing what they're doing at any beat. At, in the Marvel in the Marvel movies, you mean? I'm sure I could point to examples otherwise, but I think on the whole, Marvel is pretty good with its plot event linkage. Yes. I I think that part of that, though, has to do with how they see their characters versus how Snyder sees these characters. Ooh, go on. There is something about if you're going to basically treat them as gods, part of me is starting to see your screenplay as scripture. Not that I'm saying that Chris (laughs) Terrio is the the next, is the new gospel truth. But in, in the way of like, I am much more willing to say, well, that's just what happens, as opposed to um, the ending of Falcon of the Winter Soldier or the end of WandaVision, where, which it's very interesting that they're starting that journey into expanded storytelling at the same time we get this four-hour DC movie. Yeah. But where those shows end on, they are trying to service all these characters in a much more grounded way. And I think that the writing of those two shows respectively falls flat on their faces. Marvel's had more success elsewhere. Agree on that point. I am much more willing for Zack Snyder's Justice League to go where he is going because his direction is is absolutely stronger than the script is. Like, and I say this as someone who likes the film, like, no question. I am willing to go where he is willing to take us Mm -hmm. because I, I think that many of the pieces are very interesting, and I think that the the whole is something that I was not expecting to appreciate as much. It is hard to not look at this film, which, as many superhero stories are, a lot of parents stuff, a lot of kids stuff, (laughs) a lot of kids who want to make their parents proud or their Mm -hmm. familial figure proud, the case of Steppenwolf and Darkseid, (laughs) and not think of the personal tragedy that Snyder uh, suffered while he was making the original version of this film, where his daughter committed suicide. And you do get, as someone who has seen all of his films and always thought of him as an interesting visual stylist, but had very aggressive themes and politics and storytelling, things that he fell back on, to see something that did feel like it was speaking to that emotion of wanting to please someone who's close to you. Mm -hmm. That we see multiplied many times full because there are so many characters and narratives in this massive film. Uh, Again, it maybe it is giving points to someone that I just haven't seen this work from before. And that's what yeah. is exciting me so much. Mm. But it does, I think, genuinely work for a movie that is about 
pointing towards optimism and pointing towards yeah. what is what is possible and what is good. Yeah. At so many points when I was watching this cut of Justice League, I kept on thinking like this is so much like a labor of love and also like a labor of grief for him and you really see it in some scenes especially like the the early Lois Lane stuff before Superman comes back mm. and it like I don't know it feels very heavy and I'm just glad he was able to use this outlet for him going back to what you were saying Eli, i think i mean your issues are issues with writing right yes and with story and so that really comes down to the script and i think my issue is the problem of motivation with most of the characters and the thing mm. that i keep thinking about is this one part where batman goes there's like three or four of us now but we need one more and i'm like why one why not five? Or like, why is your Justice League six people specifically? Because he keeps talking about how he knows all these other metahumans. So why just these six? And the reason, of course, is because this exact combination of people solves the problem of Steppenwolf. Solves the problem of the mother boxes. But it doesn't really explain itself that way. I feel like if you kind of establish why we ended up with the Justice League, and I feel like it had to have that kind of... It just happened to be this group of people, and that's why we just happen to be them i think that's fine but i think batman was so specific he's like i need this guy because he has space <laughs> i need this guy and i need this woman i need and also like yeah it feels a bit contrived and i think if he had maybe set itself up as like this just happens to be heroes i have and this is the tool set we have we're gonna lose but then actually we have what we need if he had set himself mm-hmm. up that way it would have been way more interesting but it was very much like batman knew exactly what the tools he needed was even before he went in. Right. Like, I needed the Flash because he can turn back time. I needed Cyborg because he's got the box. So this kind of thing where characters say and do things because they needed to, for the plot, is the thing that that really rubs me the wrong way. Which is why I kind of prefer the first hour of the film. Because that's when the plot doesn't matter as much. It's really just like mood and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. Mm-hmm. I think that stuff is more successful. Definitely. I agree that the first half of this movie is probably more successful than the second, which you're building towards a a pretty familial, a familiar finale as far as uh, mm. what we have seen in other superhero films. I do think the specifics of how that finale is accomplished and the way simply that Snyder can wield all the visual effects and all the CGI together into a coherent vision, I think is something to celebrate in this movie. <laughs> especially compared to 90% of the crap that we get from Marvel. But I fundamentally as like when you're pointing towards Y6 and in my mind goes like, well, the Bible's kind of contrived as well. And, <laughs> and, and thinking of these, he is treating the original Justice League comics same way that you would in a Bible adaptation, where it's there's not much questioning of of why this is here in the first place. It is a designed to celebrate what was good about it in the first place. That is not really a defense of it. That is more <laughs> how, I, how I, in my brain, was willing to write certain things off. I feel like I was willing to forgive a lot of, I guess, dialogue and plot stuff because I, I was just like just wanted the movie to take me <laughs> but also because i watched the original justice league and like i understand i guess it was a it's similar plot machinations but seeing it done with a little more heart and a little more care to like let scenes breathe a little bit 
longer just makes the most difference. I was thinking about how in so many Marvel movies, every scene sort of like in the Avengers films, like every scene sort of like ends in a cliffhanger where they like one of the characters like says like, oh, we need a we need another human uh, superhuman and it like cuts to the next scene. Whereas in this Justice League movie, they really like just talk things out and come to like a logical conclusion um at the end of a scene however like stupid the dialogue may be the scenes actually have endings instead of like lead-ins to next scenes which i thought was like a a really great difference between um the two yeah i it's hard not to compare the avengers and the justice league because yeah i i think the thing I do not like about this film and we could get into is what he tries to do in the last 30 minutes. There's a, <laughs> there's a very clear end point for this story where you get the sense that, yes, this group of characters, there will be more things to solve in the universe. Like you get a sense of there are ongoing apocalypses happening, but we solve this one and this one, he makes it to all his credit. He makes what Steppenwolf and Darkseid are trying to do in this feel really fucking big. And the end where you have to turn back time just to stop this from happening, he makes that feel really fucking big. And then the last 30 minutes sort of feel... I I, I can't remember which critic point used this phrase, but the last 30 minutes of the movie are basically like, here's all the stuff that I was going to do in the sequels. Interested? Question mark? (laughs) And to me, I was like, that it's... That's where it feels a lot more like I'm watching a season of something or like a miniseries or I'm watching a a, a 30 minutes of Marvel credit stingers as opposed to the ending of a movie. Even if I am interested in seeing what he might have done or what he could possibly do one day does not really work cinematically Mm -hmm. for me in any real life. If it was like a five minute teaser, I think I've been fine, but it was so long. Yeah. <laughs> it was so long. Well, I was like, he's doing it because he's like, I fucking can do this. That's why I'm doing this. Yeah, that's why he did it. And also, I don't know if I'm right, but I heard that they're sort of disbanding the DCEU. Yeah. I don't think there would be another chance for Zack Snyder to tap into these specific characters mm. and these actors playing these characters anymore after this. They're, so, they're done with him by yeah. from everything that we understand. That this was... Uh, right. When they greenlit the Snyder cut, quote-unquote, they were like, oh, we can just, like, put that, like, four-hour cut you have on your computer and we can just put it on <laughs> HBO Max. A lot of people will watch it. And he was like, no, you're going to give me yeah. $70 million to actually finish all the VFX that were unfinished from my cut. And I want the chance to add some bullshit at the end. Because from yeah. what I understand, the only two scenes that were actually shot for this version were the Jared Leto extended sequence that takes place in, quote, <laughs> Nightmare, um, which is a, a future reality where Superman has, I guess, turned evil or Dark Side won, something like that. That's a vision, of course, Bruce Wayne has. And then the ending, which was originally going to be Batman speaking to Green Lantern. And that was the one thing that Warner Brothers had said, no, you can't do that. We have our own plans for Green Lantern. <laughs> so he reshot it with Martian Manhunter. Green Lantern. Which, which does explain a baffling choice that is left in the middle of the movie. Where oh, yeah. That a is very heartfelt so scene weird. with Diane Lane and Amy Adams <laughs> ends with the reveal that, that Diane Lane, who's, who plays Martha Kent, is in fact Martian Manhunter. Why? <laughs> I do not know. Washerman so had knew it was the key. He just knew. Um, um. <laughs> I was going to say something, but I forgot. I, I killed the buzz. 
Oh no, last night I was just looking at the Wikipedia page for the DCEU. I was just kind of interested where this was going. And there's such a long list of reworked slash cancelled projects. And I was also looking at the slate of movies coming out. And it definitely feels much more fragmented compared to the Marvel Cinematic Universe, which is essentially a long TV show. Whereas the yeah. DC Universe has kind of just gone to this point where they're like, they don't think they're going to be able to do this right or in the way that Marvel is doing it. So now I think they're not caring. I think they're just going to make one-shot movies that are going to work. So they know that Wonder Woman is going to make money. They know Shazam's going to make money. So they're just making those movies. Which I think is a valid studio strategy as well. I think I find that exciting. Yeah, yeah if you can't play them at their yeah. game, like find another game to play. Yeah. Uh, what's the what's the <laughs> that's also what's the term? Less yeah. of a commitment because I think they don't have the the person to kind of tie this together. So they're not going to. They're just gonna commit to a single movies making money, which is fine. And I think the Marvel Cinematic Universe is hitting a point where it's becoming so oversaturated mm. that they really need like a massive like wipeout event to happen. Um but it's not gonna happen because people like care about these characters yeah. so much. Didn't we just get a wipeout event? Uh, it was a fake out wipe wipeout event. <laughs> well, it's it's funny because just because the TV shows and I won't oh, speak right. about it because they're not that's not why we're here. You get the sense that all of the Marvel stuff now is reveling from the events of the quote unquote snap. Mm. Yes, but I think that Snyder obviously was the even if he wasn't making all the films, he was the tonal link of the dceu to a point really until the point where they decided that he wasn't working for justice league and they parted ways i think that would have been really hard to stomach for every single character to be worked into that very specific tone that i think snyder himself was still trying to figure out what he was trying to say with these characters in the first place you look at stuff like suicide squad where they are on one hand trying to like ape the marvel guardians of the galaxy thing and they're trying to create something as like gritty as batman v superman and it's just like the right mix of like grizzly and fucking stupid and like <laughs> not confident and the thing about snyder is that he's incredibly confident and that does matter when you're watching a movie that this guy fully believes what he's saying and when you watch something like suicide squad or even the parts of stuff like i do i actually quite like the patty jenkins wonder woman which i think was them stepping oh. away from this but yeah. when you are like when you see someone try to do the snyder thing and, they're, and they don't have it in their bones. You can really tell. It's a certain kind of energy. And, and the, it, it will rarely be seen because of the Marvel thing, even if you get someone like James Gunn or Ryan Coogler who can go off in their own directions and, and do something that might be really interesting, it all kind of has to come back to one producing figure. And yeah. I guess DC has decided to step away from that, which... All power to them. Those movies are also good. Well, that's why I'm really excited to see Gunn's Suicide Squad. So yeah. just to see how far he himself feels like he can uh, stretch to, like, I don't know, outstretch the mold of, of the the Marvel Cinematic Universe with... Yeah, because Gunn is an auteur, and with Marvel, even he gets a bit shackled by the machine, yeah. right? Even like... though Guardians does feel like the most auteuristic work out of all of the marvel movies like i think it has um a very specific attitude and tone that a lot of other marvel movies just it's incredibly lacking and i think yeah when he's giving given free reign i think it's gonna be very fun okay should we talk about steppenwolf i'm looking at him right now (laughs) just just so you know i'm i'm 
just playing this four-hour movie silently as we're doing this podcast. So I'm just looking at Steppenwolf <laughs> talking to this side right now. First thing I got to say about Steppenwolf, he looks fucking good. He looks really cool, especially <laughs> if you watch the Whedon version where he has like like a kind of, Wilson, correct me, like yeah. he has like facial hair in that. He looks yeah. way more human, thus way I more gross. <laughs> in this one, his suit is kind of like wavy. Yeah, like I, love how, I love his suit in this one. It, yeah, he looks so much better. I mean, I didn't see the first one, uh, the original one, but I kind of hate it the way he looked. But that's kind of me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't like this stuff. Okay, maybe it kind of maybe it makes sense then. Uh, but I don't like seeing all these things moving. It's a little gross, but maybe that's the point. <laughs> I think it's just such a uh, an interesting and once again fully committed visual choice that it never steps away from, especially like all the Steppenwolf dark side stuff. I believe that Thanos was originally ripped off of dark side and Steppenwolf, like when Marvel was doing Thanos in the comics in the first place. And a lot of their goals, of course, are very similar. I don't think that Steppenwolf as a character is necessarily fully cooked. Um, (laughs) But I think he is very empathetic in this version because uh, as a reference point, Darkseid, not in the weed and cut at all. No, not at all. So Steppenwolf, you do not really understand in any emotional way what he is trying to do. This Steppenwolf, just by trying to be like the middle manager guy who's pleasing his <laughs> <Yeah>. uncle, <laughs> is is kind of fun. Especially I, I, in the I moment later in the movie. Too, yeah. <laughs> yeah, when he's like, when he takes off the big horny helmet, <laughs> you just like see horny him like, as like a pouty child. I like that stuff a lot. In my notes, I referred to him with a combination of so many Yiddish words. There's Schleppenwolf, Stuppenwolf, <laughs> Kvetchenwolf. He's great. What's not to like? He's my chonky, wrinkly boy. I like him a lot. <laughs> chonky, wrinkly boy. Oh. It does feel like they were taking a cue from Avengers of like using Thanos as the kind of core of the movie. Because Steppenwolves need to please Darkseid. It's kind of dumb, but it, it works to make sense of him as a character. And to also, I guess in the Snyder Cut, make it feel like there is a bigger bat somewhere. Right? Because with Thanos, it doesn't... F- feel like there's bigger to go but here it's yeah. like it's just he's just the middle manager and he's just not you're not cut out for it so there's gonna be more shit coming i'm looking now at the big flashback about dark side's first invasion which i understand from the original cut the theatrical cut was actually steppenwolf for some reason coming in which yeah. makes no sense in the context of this version i really disliked this exposition scene because as cool as it is, I think, to see gods and, like, the Amazons and stuff, it's cool. But when Wonder Woman goes into that weird temple thing and she sees those images on the wall, On the wall, I yeah. like that scene a lot. And I was like, wow, is Snyder going to do exposition completely wordlessly? Is he going to do it? Is he just going to be like, we need three <laughs> no. boxes, put them together? I was like, is he doing it? <laughs> nope. He has 20 minutes of the exact same thing, but with all the action. I was like, okay. <laughs> That's the Lord of the Rings scene you're talking about, where mm. it's like Zeus. Yeah. It's literally Zeus. Yes, also it is. like the Lantern Corps. Mm. And that's the stuff I do like, regardless of how successful it is as a piece of writing or whatever. That's the stuff I like about DC. <laughs> where it just it goes full and there's a quote I think about on the Marvel side when they were making Infinity War. And originally Thanos is, 
his goal is to court death. That's that's the character's original goal. Like death is like manifested in his love interest. Mm-hmm. And then Marcus and McFeely were interviewed. They were asked why they did not do that. They reframe the, his whole emotional core to be about his daughter Gamora, who's a character we already yes. know. And Marcus and McFeely say, we thought about doing the death stuff. And at the end of the day, we try to work it out. And we just thought it would be too crazy. And if you're making Infinity War and you're deciding, well, that's just too crazy, <laughs> you're really holding something back. That's supposed to be the culmination of everything. I do appreciate, and I see this in Aquaman as well, and in parts of a film that I don't think really works, but is interesting, Wonder Woman 1984, where you get the sense that they thought of the craziest thing that they could do, and they did it. And that's, again, quality by point of comparison, not necessarily quality by itself. There is something to really appreciate there. I think that there's a strong argument to make that Marvel, which is ostensibly more jocular, takes itself more seriously than the DC movies do. Mm, I also admire the the gall and willingness to go as far as possible and as big as possible in this movie, Justice League. Yeah, it's it those parts of it are fun and I think that's a very interesting <laughs> way of putting it. I just made it. a face that was like, I don't know, it was like a shrug. I don't know. Yeah, I, I mean, look, I'm, I'm, as we're talking, I'm really trying to like pin down my thoughts here. I think there's a certain amount of, if you want to go with it, you will enjoy it. I never much like being told, go with it in mm-hmm. movies. <laughs> so there's a clash there <laughs> but i i do still admire and respect and at times enjoy how honest justice league is with itself its conviction and its yeah. consistency so there are things that i do admire about it even though <laughs> i don't always personally click with it but i feel like that you hit fair. the nail on the head eli that it is actually trying to have fun no matter how self-serious it is. It is actually yeah. having more fun than the Marvel movies. I because think so. it doesn't care about having to necessarily tell a coherent story. It's just like, what's cool now? Let's do the cool thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, like, what do I want to do? Like, yeah. It's like a kid playing with action figures. That's what this is. Exactly. That, that's the Snyder cut, you know? That's the Snyder flavor there, you know? He's just a kid with action figures, and he's like, yeah, what's the cool thing now? I pull into my box. Hey, look, it's Zeus. Let's story with Batman. <laughs> you know, yeah. that's that kind of feeling you get. And and it's the it has its own like it does the let's just think of the craziest thing we can do, and mm-hmm. then it it sticks to its convictions in a storytelling way. Maybe not in like a scene to see way, but like big scale. Again, comparison to Marvel, Stanley's you know his quote about the illusion of change that they're trying to create in the comics. Nothing actually changes in the Marvel universe, mm-hmm. um, cinematic or otherwise. There is something nice about when if Snyder's like, okay, I'm going to kill off Superman at the end of Batman mm-hmm. v Superman. At the beginning of, of Justice League, that is going to have biblical ramifications. You are going, the entire universe is going mm-hmm. to hear Superman's cry <laughs> as he is slain. And that, it's, it's cool. I don't, I don't know what else to say about it. I think yeah. it had just been so long since I had seen something that huge and genuine that i was like this is i like this This is different what did you think about the like the post snap like stuff in endgame 
I think that that is very successful in a similar way. Um, it did take 20 movies to get there. Yes, that's true. <laughs> where you can see, okay, the consequences of what have happened do yeah. feel like they have ramifications. And I think that, I think Marcus and Feely overall smart screenwriters, they figured out where to put those characters in ways that made emotional sense for their yes. journeys, but also was interesting as the, as the first hour of a very, another very long movie. Yeah. I think that you get in, in some of the guardians movies, I, I recently rewatched the second one, which is maybe my, it's between that and Iron Man three of my favorite of the Your favorite mm-hmm. of the Marvel cinematic universe. Again, the most singular and idiosyncratic movies that really don't have any connective tissue to the other films where they have to service some story function and end in a certain place. You get the sense of certainly in the, in the second guardians, a like we, we are, we are willing to go grand scale and at the same time, like make this about fathers and sons Mm -hmm. make, make this about like very not, not new or nuanced ideas, but this very core familial stories that again, feel as old as time. And this is, I, I think that here it, he reflects something similar to that. Right. And Batman v Superman, even the longer version of that movie, which I did go back and see <laughs> after I saw wow. this film, is maybe coherent as a piece of like, oh, okay, maybe I now understand everything that happened, but is so dour and violent and busy <laughs> and doesn't really seem to have any point of view on anything that I do not know why that film was made except to service what was then accomplished in this movie and just set all, up all the pieces yeah these 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 heroes straight up murder people yeah yeah they do like batman just uses <laughs> guns all the time and it's very confusing knowing his kind of characterization right that he's supposedly not trying to kill people but he's making guns <laughs> it's weird like why does he have a tank all these questions that i can't explain whereas like if you like <laughs> play batman games and stuff like they always help you understand that he's not killing people. Like, if you play those I mean, Batman right. permanent Arkham injury, games, yeah, but yeah. yeah. So, but, but that, at least there's a line, you know, there's a line. Yeah. But also, like... Mm, yeah, he'll, he'll paralyze a guy, but kill, But, like, on. movie movie characterization is different from, like, comic book and yeah, video I mean, game characterization. Yeah. Like, I think this, this Batman is a lot darker and would kill people for... For I mean, things, yeah. as evidenced and, and, by BVS and I guess yeah, he's gonna kill the, the Joker. The Nolan Batman's commit to that no kill rule. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes do. in like insane ways, mm-hmm. where like you know, maybe, maybe kill Joker at the at the end of Dark Knight <laughs> after everything that's happened. Yeah, <laughs> that's maybe just, just maybe. Yeah, <laughs> but I think those characterizations are like from the comics are what kind of give them interesting wrinkles that help the story shape itself into a way that's a little different from other characters. Because if if your heroes are always the same, right, they're just going to kill the bad guy, kill the bad guy, then it doesn't give them something to fight against, like whether it's within themselves. Like you look at mm. like Batman not killing Joker ever. It's senseless when you think about it. Like why not kill the guy that's giving you the biggest problems? <laughs> why not? But it does make it like interesting at least to have this relationship and like, making it difficult for Batman to get to that point and feeling like he needs to break his one rule or whatever. Mm-hmm. So with Zack Snyder breaking all the Batman rules... Batman doesn't really make a lot of sense. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's <laughs> part of why I love in the nightmare sequence. Like, it's so it's so funny to me when Jared Leto's Joker's like, 
you're a little twerp, aren't you, Batman? You're, you're, you're a little twerp. And Batman's like, okay, Joker, watch out. Stop. Don't make fun of me, please. Please stop. <laughs> Just this Batman would kill him, I think. I do just need to say for reference, as someone who sees everything and unfortunately saw the first time Jared Leto was in this universe, um, he's giving a completely different performance in this movie, like (laughs) visually totally different. I think he liked the Joaquin Phoenix Joker look and he was just like, put that on me. And I have unfortunately to say he is better in this than he is in the Suicide Squad movie. Oh, definitely. And he is not good in this. I kind of scrubbed that from my mind. Suicide Squad is borderline unwatchable. It's he actually have damage written across his forehead in this one. It's just coming up. <laughs> it's still there. <laughs> if you look hard enough, it's still there. It's there. He's after going laser surgery. He's mid-removal, okay? Give him a break. <laughs> Russell, I'm thinking about what you said a little bit ago about the emotions writ large, particularly around Superman's death. And I'm thinking about who receives specifically the scream. And it is all the heroes that we're going to meet. And that just makes me think about how Snyder looks at every people and the normal everyday characters who surround our heroes. I want to toss out an observation that I'm a little nervous to present, but I can't really shake it. All of the main significant exceptional characters, whether they're superheroes or they're family and love interests, are attractive hollywood looking people and i think that snyder shoots the every people in ways that seem grotesque and um ugly you, th- you, you, you think mean the non-superheroes he, he's, he's trying to shoot amy adams ugly in this movie <laughs> no 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 I, I i i'm including her in the that, that's the family and love interest thing but the i think like the owner of the pet shop the the barista who's serving Wonder Woman, the guy driving the truck. It just got, it just got me thinking about like how if we're looking at the snap in the Marvel universe, I think that goes out of its way to show how for example, the other students in Spider-Man's school responded to the snap, right? And like mm-hmm. there's this age disparity. Some of them have aged more, some of them have not. Like that affects them in their day-to-day. I'm just thinking about how much do we actually see the world, like, people responding to the death of Superman? We see the, like, the big black flag over the London Bridge. Do you see what I'm saying? Yeah, no, he's, yeah. it's not his focus. I, I don't know yeah. if I, I could get the same, like, opinion of lesser people the same way that you could in, um, you could maybe even read into, like, in the Brad Bird superhero movies, <laughs> mm. um, where mm-hmm. the villains are normal people who want to be super. Yeah, there's its own problem, right? (laughs) Yeah, well, I I think that that is it's a trope that you fall back on a lot of in these movies of like you must depower the superhero or you you must be as powerful as the superhero despite the fact that you have not been gifted this the same way. I think a counter within Justice League within the main six is you can find in Cyborg who is like I do not I I I am a freakish monster in my opinion. Um, this ha- only happened because I was in a horrific accident in which my mom died. And then my father has all these, um, Joe Morton with his insane robots again, mm-hmm. ha- has all these, uh, crazy ideas about what I can or should be. And it's not even that he's refusing the call. He's just like, I-, I just, I want a normal life. And the emotional catharsis at the end is that he 
he can have a life with other people. It's the line of like, I'm not broken and I'm not alone, which does, it, it really does remind me of still my favorite superhero film ever, uh, Sam Raimi's Spider-Man 2. Yes. Oh, yeah. Where you, you really get a strong balance of how can I be super and be a normal person? And yeah. both feel so equally served in that movie. And I think just within the context of, there's a lot more going on in this movie. It's a lot more heightened. But just within the context of Cyborg's arc, I, I do think you get a taste of that. Yeah. I was going to ask if you guys have, just based off of the premise of your show, do you have any relationship with Snyder's other work? Is there any that you've been particularly repelled by or particularly like, oh, that's actually where I wish he kind of went with his filmmaking? You know, I think he's one of those filmmakers who it's hard not to have an opinion about, even if you haven't seen a ton of his stuff. I saw 300 on TV when I was pretty young, and I remember hearing from maybe classmates later on that it was a metaphor for America's conflicts in the Middle East that is racially cast in a troubling way, right? And I remember feeling repelled by that and then being able to quickly look at his subsequent things like Sucker Punch and point out problems on the poster or, as as I've said, like, look at how he maybe glorifies these super figures. Mm-hmm. And that's never enough, right? Like, you got to do the watching. So I think watching both Justice League and the reaction to Justice League, Snyder's Cut, is a reminder to me to not draw the conclusions beforehand Mm -hmm. and try to find both value and critical reaction. It's hard when there are a number of things about Justice League that just don't vibe with me, but this conversation helps me put my finger on more that I appreciate about it. If this was certainly the tone of every DC movie, I think that would be really hard to stomach for many reasons. But it being one menu item at the DCEU restaurant, <laughs> I, I think I think sits better for me. But yeah, I don't know. Yeah. I, I'm interested in that world where every single DC movie is like this, and in fact, more of this. Even. <laughs> <laughs> like I, I, I am fascinated hey, by the idea. Birds of Prey was a lot of fun. It was, was okay. really good. See, Birds okay. of Prey, I didn't like because I felt like. It was trying to be this thing that was more Marvel-esque, but kind of splitting the difference in a way that I didn't find entirely successful. Mm. You know what I mean? And like the action, that one was also for me a little weak. Yeah, you really could. Yeah, the the difference in the action sequences is like night and day. I was going to say, oh, with Zack Snyder, I feel like the only film of his that before, (laughs) the only film of his that I might have seen in the theater might have been Watchmen. Which is oh, weird wow. when you think oh, about boy. it. Yeah. What do you think? What do you guys think his deep cut is? is I, I guess it could ask be you that question, Russell. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because you've seen everything. You're I've only Snyder seen the DC <laughs> um, Snyder movies. And the Snyder stand, and this is the first Snyder film I've actually liked. I mean, he has a new movie coming out, what, in like a week? Army of the Dead? Oh, yeah. Oh. I'm, I'm interested in that. cinematographer? What? Army of the Cancel. Look at him. Two movies in a year. Wow, watch both of them be in my top ten. No, so what's your deep cut? What what would your deep cut be? I I mean, Dawn of the Dead, I I think by default, it's the only film of his 
that he did not write or feels written by Snyder. That's a that's a James Gunn script. I think that those that mesh you can see Gunn sort of go in that direction of of like Gunn sort of becoming a visual stylist like Snyder while having a very specific worldview that I, I find very entertaining, grounded and elevated at the same time. That feels that makes me very excited for Army of the Dead because I think that that is his only other movie that I would point to in his filmography so that that feels successful mm-hmm. as opposed to there might be interesting beats in them. I think there's interesting stuff in 300 and Watchmen. I've not actually seen Sucker Punch and Guardians of the uh, sorry, Legend of the Guardians, the Owls of Gahul. <laughs> yes, thank you. But I, I think that um, Man of Steel was probably the biggest like emotional response I had to a Snyder film to this point. And that was a, a bad emotional response. Um, <laughs> it, it was it was a wow, like I I'm not like a Superman guy. Like I at that, especially at that point in time when I was 18 or whatever when I saw that movie when it came out. And I was like, I feel like this just does not like get to what is interesting or uh noble yeah. or fun to watch about Superman. The end of that movie feels like they murdered thousands of people. Yes, and you they don't did. know like <laughs> I was like, that feels unintentional. That just feels like they did not care. And then in the next movie, it kind of retcons. Oh, that was like that was like nine eleven, but for Bruce Wayne, you know. Um, mm-hmm. And it's like again, he sticks with that idea. I think I appreciate about the guy. But he, um, I think it was when he made Watchmen, he was interviewed like, oh, like would you ever do Superman? Would you ever do like Wonder Woman? Like those kinds of characters. I know you work for Warner Brothers. They own all those characters. And he said, like, I can't, I can't relate to those characters. Like, I don't even know what I would say about those characters. Like, the Watchmen <laughs> characters, these are the guys I relate to. And, yeah, you, when he gets Superman, he sort of treats them like the Watchmen characters for a yeah. little bit. Um, yeah. Certainly in Batman v Superman. I think he, you know, whether he just, like, fell into this narrative choice or not, he finds something lucky in treating Superman as an optimistic figure in Zack Snyder's Justice and, League. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But he... Henry Cavill does not have much screen time. It's much more of a symbol of what bringing back Superman would actually mean. Yeah. And for the first time in the three movies he's made with Superman, gets to an idea of what is cool about Superman, of what he can uh, symbolize, I I suppose. So, If anything, it's more of a Batman movie. So what do y'all think of Batman? I feel like we got to talk about him. I did want to talk about this. There's a moment when Batman is asked by Barry Allen, what's your superpower? And Batman <laughs> says, being rich. But I... It's honest. It's a, it's a funny joke, but it kind of sucks to hear Batman say that. You know? Like, it's... Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it like yeah. It is self-awareness on the part of the writing that shows a lack of self-awareness on behalf of the character. I agree. I, I, think, it, I think it is What do you care though? about? What does this Batman care about? Okay, this is a segue, but my first thought when, like, you know, when Cyborg's learning about his powers from his dad's voicemail thing, or the, yeah. the recording, and then it goes into his mind, and then he's like, "Yeah, you could, you could do what with the money?" Then you know, he gives that one random lady money. My <laughs> first thought was, "Bitch, you could take all of Batman's money and give it to everyone. Why are you doing that not right now?" You yeah. could, you could yeah. level Redistribute the playing field. That, way. that well. would probably solve more problems <laughs> than anything you could have done. But yeah, yeah he, he doesn't movie, think of it. He yeah. s- gives his one lady five hundred thousand. I think Steppenwolf would still obliterate everybody in, in, in the <laughs> timeline you know, you're discussing. After you saved the world, you could tell Batman, you know, I'm gonna just take yeah. a cut of your money, and 
I'm gonna help everyone. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's um, I don't know. I was thinking the other day about there was a cool piece that Mads Lorsides wrote about a different franchise, the MonsterVerse, like Godzilla oh. versus Kong, and all the films before that. And he said something that stuck with me of like, this is the only major franchise that Hollywood makes that is not about either cops or figures that serve a cop-like function. Mm. Yep. And I thought that that was very interesting because at the end of the day in Marvel and DC, you're creating characters that sort of kind of had to, you know, create a sense of sameness. They can be extraordinary. They can save people, but they're not obliterating the status quo. They wouldn't do that. They want to stop people from doing that. The supervillains that is, or the more quote unquote complicated superhero supervillains like Killmonger who mm-hmm. might have ideas that would actually help a lot of people. But the means, the means to which they go about it, those are the bad ones. <laughs> and thus, they must be, they, they kill people along the way. They must be stopped. But uh, I don't know where I was going with that. Case in point in this movie, the whole extended bank robbery sequence. Let me, let me just cite this word for word. <laughs> oh, um, yeah. So Wonder Woman asks one of the bank robbers, who are you? And he responds, <laughs> quote, we're a small group of reactionary terrorists who want to turn the clock back a thousand years in Europe. <laughs> to which Wonder Woman says, boring. <laughs> which is a pretty great response, I gotta say. But that's such a nebulous, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> she is protecting a bank and then, and then having really like boilerplate basic girl power dialogue with a young girl. That it feels like a very empty tip of the hat towards towards a, women a hazy idea of feminism yeah. <laughs> yeah it doesn't also make sense because this girl cannot be wonder woman she it was not her father is not zeus or whatever right so it's like she <laughs> cannot ben. she cannot save this building from an explosion and then create another explosion in its in its wake <laughs> right yeah. which is yeah. such a which weird is, choice <laughs> and it's also something that the first wonder woman film sort of a, avoids yes the mm-hmm. kind of cheesy girl power crap mm-hmm. like not not that that is inherently a bad idea but where it's like it's just so ridiculous it, it's the stuff that you see at the end of Endgame where it's the shot of all the women together the women yeah, yeah. and people characters who have never met each other have no connection to each other <laughs> it's meant for the iconography of mm-hmm. girl yeah. power but not actually manifested in any meaningful or dramatic way that that scene yeah that he could have just been a bank robber i don't think he needed any dialogue there yeah <laughs> But this adds to my point that Zack Snyder is like the true like himbo excellence director. Like he is hundred percent himbo, um, and that's just how he sees the world. And, Name a director um, who is who looks like he goes to the gym more often than Snyder. I will wait. <laughs> yeah, no answer. <laughs> oh, let's talk about the four three guy. Oh, yes. let's talk about that academy ratio or close to academy ratio um, i liked it i i really liked it i think that this is such a visually appealing movie even in the yes. non-action scenes the way that shots are framed the way the yes. lighting looks it's so gorgeous and like leaps and bounds like more visually interesting than any marvel movie so inventive in the way that it shows their superpowers i keep on thinking to the first flash scene where he saves the girl from the from the car crash and how 
like the the bolts of lightning like keep like showing up just in the frame there's just so many things where i'm like you like fully understand how to make this action the most interesting it can be for the screen and for the audience and that should really really be applauded because i feel like there's so many opportunities in in all the superhero movies to make these action scenes look better and look more fun and people are just not take like people are not being visually inventive enough with the way that they make superhero movies anymore I agree, actually. What do you guys think? I, yeah. I like the 4-3. I mean, I always love 4-3, and I think it just looks good. <laughs> so I hope Zack Snyder normalizes this a bit more. <laughs> mm-hmm. I, I mean, like, if you look at the bank robbery scene or whatever, that scene I found visually interesting because of the way that he covered how he gets into that scene. Like, once yeah. they get into the scene, what does he focus on? He focuses on the briefcase. Like, he doesn't focus yeah. on the person. I thought that was a pretty interesting choice. And that that gives it a sense of of danger despite you not knowing what's going on and i don't know i like i like that kind of choice and that feels like a choice that is not that feels like somebody constructing a scene thinking about an interesting way of covering it like of yeah yeah of using the visuals to tell the story rather than just you know doing standard coverage which you'll see a lot yeah. in marvel movies mm-hmm. yeah and i, I remember think... that's sorry i remember that scene looking so much di- like cut so differently in the original cut like without like any emphasis on the briefcase and it like really stuck out to me this time around it's like a third of the length in the whedon version and i think that every scene in this movie is like 15 minutes and i think that (laughs) that is the problem some people have with it and i think that that is why some scenes that really kind of hum um like the bank robbery or the keep it moving scene in themiscara um with one of the mother boxes just feel like their own short films mm-hmm. yeah, with their own, like their own narrative agenda um, that he can fixate on certain objects and tell a very complete story with them. But also at the same time, just make coherent action. I think that um, the way that the Wonder Woman coverage is just depicted in the original cut in that scene is, is you can't have any, you don't have any fucking idea what she's doing. Um, and here you have, because he slows it down at some points, but also, you know, because it's just better shot and makes sense there there's a lot more uh there's a lot more pleasure to be had in a sequence like this one i think when it gets to like the final sequence like the final battle which is when i started dozing off (laughs) 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 like it's when it starts to get too a little bland like when there's a lot of things going on like i start to not being able to follow what's going on whereas when it's smaller with fewer characters it's easier to see where he is using the visual style to, you know, emphasize certain points. But when there's like a lot going on, it can get a little messy and busy for me. Eli, what did you think of the, the visual style? Um, fine. <laughs> fine. <laughs> I don't know. I, um, I don't know. I, I truly don't think I have much of a take on the visuals. I'm, I remember being geographically confused by the resurrection scene. I don't know where the scientists were in relation to all the, the monument stuff and how the mother box ends up slamming down on a car. This is a very specific thing. The Star Lab stuff just does not... I, 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 you just reminded me that those scenes were in the movie. <laughs> so, not as memorable. I do think that Joe Morton's death, though, is uh, that, uh, that's an A-plus yeah. scene. 
That's it's great. a good scene. And then afterwards, there's this weird simultaneous grieving that Victor's going through and plot moving forward through Wonder Woman, Batman, and Aquaman being like, oh shit, his dad just died. That means that the box is heated up and it's going to be here and we can track it. Yeah, sorry, Victor, hang on. <laughs> you're 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 right yeah. i found that a little abrasive though the moment yeah. of silas's death itself is good this bridges into performances which i think we should touch on mm. joe borton's incredible ray fisher's great those yeah. those two performances are excellent i don't know i i really dislike the cyborg character so i found ray fisher's performance hard to swallow because it was so much it's hard to sell his i hate my daddy thing like it's hard to buy into that so easily I don't know. I I didn't really. I feel like that's but a problem with the script. But he's not there for his for his college his football match. It was he confusing. He's not there. He's not present. It was too. I think I think that one veers too much Daddy. into a very broad melodrama <laughs> that I can't buy into. I don't. Maybe that's not performance. Maybe that's more like a story issue. And I already said I don't, I don't Flash really annoying. I, <laughs> I think he I think he anchors that stuff that's like in his mind, like the stuff that is so montage based. Mm. I remember there's a really one of the scenes, the many scenes that explains how the mother boxes work. <laughs> Ray Fisher is like narrating directly to camera. I think he is a really commanding screen presence, in my I opinion. Agree. Definitely. And I think the tone of his voice is really interesting. I think a lot of Especially the scene that you described, Eli, like him reacting to his death, even if the script is sort of moving on from it, which is not what you want. Fisher is like, he's not letting that moment go. He's, he has to, like the way that I remember he moves, however much of that was CGI or otherwise, um, but just like what's going on in his face there, I, is just like one of those, considering how much tragedy and death are in all these superhero movies, it's always interesting, like what kind of lingers in your mind. And that moment absolutely does. And Snyder really supports Fisher's performance there. I think there are a number of moments of performance that Snyder is good at giving space. I think there are some performances that suffer. I'm curious (laughs) what... Gal Gadot. (laughs) Gadot is is kind of... She's really not... I think she's the only character that kind of goes down in this cut versus the Whedon one. Everyone Mm. else, dramatic improvement. Yeah. Gal (laughs) Gadot. (laughs) <laughs> it's hard because there's also not really an emotional root for her character no. in this movie versus like basically everyone else like has a, a large stake in this whereas wonder woman's just there and like reacting to things and i don't think mm, i think gal Gadot tries so hard to act like i really think she tries but that's kind like, of you can problem. see it you can, you can see, see it in her face <laughs> yeah <laughs> You can see her, her, her <laughs> trying to act, <laughs> and good effort. But ultimately, I, I, I think everyone else was just on like another level. Um, like at least the Justice League members, they were. I, I think Gal was was lagging behind a little bit. I'm not super compelled by Ben Affleck, and I'm also <laughs> really, really not compelled by Amber Heard. I found oh. her performance quite disappointing. Wait, so, okay, you guys have not seen James Wan's Aquaman. Uh, she her, she does not have an English accent in that movie. No. <laughs> what? Or in the original Whedon cut of Justice League. Um, I believe that the footage they used was, they changed accents midstream. Um, That's funny. <laughs> wow. But um, when she's in Nightmare and she's saying, I want to get close to Superman so I can hurt him for what? 
he did to Arthur. I'm like, oh, 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 <laughs> ooh, <laughs> ooh. <laughs> I I don't know. I don't know what you're talking. About. I, I threw her the best supporting actress Oscar when I when I saw that scene. <laughs> threw it at my screen. Oh, I can I can I send for Ben Affleck here? Yeah. Yes. Please. Yes, you can. Again, much like Snyder, I think that seeing this movie in a moment where I think culturally we are all kind of rooting for Ben Affleck in many ways, maybe that no, maybe that's a broad gesture. I think a lot more people are rooting for him or maybe defending him or maybe saying like, oh, actually, he uh, was a pretty interesting screen presence. And he does have a himbo energy to him that I do genuinely enjoy as Bruce Wayne. I think that Snyder across these two movies, it really makes Affleck's work hard. Yes. In Batman Superman, especially where he has to be angry at Superman for various reasons that don't make any sense. Very confusing. And then in this movie, he has to pull a 180 and say like, this guy died by my side and, (laughs) and I must, I must do everything I can to preserve his legacy. At the very least here, he, by serving ringleader, by serving like, you gotta have faith, Alfred, that whole scene. Mm-hmm. He gets to tap into the stuff that I really like about Affleck and his performances when he leans towards the positive. His career arc is so interesting to me of like, he was so often miscast as these brooding figures early in his career. Not his energy. That's not what he's good at. He's much more of like this kind of everyday guy. And then, which also is interesting energy to bring to Bruce Wayne. It kind of reminds me of the Michael Keaton energy in the original Batman movies. Mm. Much more heightened world. But like, he's just, he kind of feels like a normal guy as Bruce Wayne, as opposed to the playboy energy of a, um, of a Christian Bale. Right. So yeah, I, I, I thought, I thought that he was successful in this, but yeah, not totally served. They never got to make his movie. <laughs> that was a mixture of Affleck not wanting to make it and just like, the chips aligning where they did with these movies. But yeah. yeah, Batman not totally served by the Snyder vision. Yeah, that makes sense. Excited to see what Robert Pattinson brings <laughs> to Same here. the role. It's going to be very interesting. Pattinson is such an interesting choice because he feels like he should be in the, in the rogues gallery of Batman rather than Batman. Like him as a person. I think he's going to be a crazy Batman. Yeah. I want to be concerned about Robert Pattinson's Batman's well-being. <laughs> if I had a bat, I would fuck it. <laughs> <laughs> well, on that note. Uh-huh. Should we wrap it up, friends? Final thoughts on... Final thoughts on Zack Snyder's Justice League? Well, I think it's... We should also talk about how it was sort of like a triumph of the fans, right? Like, the studio caved in to everyone demanding the Snyder Cut. However obnoxious and, like, horrible those people may be online, they, like, listened to them and and gave the fans what they wanted, which is, I think, a first in, like, at least big-budget filmmaking world where... Like, they're able to release a director's cut of this. I mean, there are so many moving factors of, like, the fact that we got this four-hour and two-minute thing is a testament of, I think, really three things. HBO Max being a service that was released in its early go, and they needed things that would add a lot of clicks and a lot of articles about it. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, there's a pandemic. Easier to make a 
70 million dollar movie when it's already shot and then i think there was the factor of warner brothers in general looking at like well we don't really need to do the snyder thing anymore so like let's just kind of let him do whatever he wants that will be like our gift to the fans as wilson said like that'll be our our wrapping up the bow Mm -hmm. and snyder took that in a different direction of like okay i will do everything i want and i'm gonna indicate to people about what my whole universe would be and see if there's any interest in that because you know this was an unlikely story maybe it'll be another one another unlikely story i don't know if that part is going to work it certainly leaves the movie on a confusing couple scenes but yeah a lot of very weird circumstances to get this exact version of this movie that never would have been in theaters i can't even imagine what the three-hour version of this movie is that like could have been in theaters Mm -hmm. yeah crazy movie very weird i liked it Crazy movie, very weird. I'm ambivalent. <laughs> I really stopped thinking about the movie, guys. <laughs> and yeah. it's still playing on your computer in the yeah. background. I like forgot everything. I enjoyed it quite a lot, but I'm a big sucker for superhero movies, and I miss a big, big superhero movie. So <laughs> this Dude. was it. <laughs> I, I feel like I've reached a point of super, like massive superhero fatigue, even though I'm kind of excited for the Marvel ones coming out this year. I don't know. I, I think I'm starting to feel the thing that the critics have been complaining about maybe like five, ten years ago. <laughs> <laughs> I'm finally there and being like, uh I think that Marvel has started to dig itself a hole that yes. it's trying to scramble out of, but I it will take at least like three to four years to... you, you don't think that four marvel movies and four marvel shows a year is a sign of is gonna make people tired i don't i don't know about that i think the two wandavision and and falcon and winter soldier feel like bad signs like after watching those like i think yeah i kind of agree they're starting to make mistakes that i think the dc universe was making at the beginning so i think they're starting to flag a little bit in terms of writing and they're starting to do the thing which is doing more fan service rather than just trying to tell a compelling story they're making they're making objects that have to end at the same place they began they just sort of they're like these intense dramatic emotional stories that just have to revert back to exactly where the chips fell in the first one because they need to account for the audience that's only seeing the movies Mm -hmm. and and we're like okay well sam has the cap shield so he's got the america right and then then Mm -hmm. here's six episodes about suddenly sam doesn't want the shield and then he decides at the end that you know the shield is worth it after all (laughs) yeah and he's exactly where he was at the end of endgame a different emotional journey maybe but narratively it's the same there's like an inability to pull big punches plot wise because there's just so much going on and i think they have more success they tend to have more success with the space stuff which can sort of occupy different corners i say this Mm -hmm. and like obviously i don't think that captain marvel particularly worked as a movie Mm -hmm. or a character but i am i am kind of excited for like loki and the eternals like they're they're always gonna get me back right yeah (laughs) yeah I will definitely be paying money to see whatever <laughs> superhero movie comes out next, yeah. regardless of the studio. Regardless of my fatigue, I'm still going to watch it. Yeah. It's kind of annoying. Like, while watching Justice League, I was like, oh, damn, this would have looked so good on an IMAX screen. They're like, gonna, I just they're kept gonna on thinking about... They're going to release it on IMAX as well. Oh, okay. Well, 
I'm sorry, I'm there. <laughs> What's the point of it being in IMAX if it's going to be 4.3 anyway? <laughs> it is, if IMAX, the is screen. Al- IMAX is already, yeah, IMAX already, is already like 4.3. Oh, That's yeah. IMAX, oh, yeah. So, so they, they have, yeah, he's just sort of pre-retrofitted it for IMAX. Yeah. Pretty um, sweet. I, 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 I might see it. I, oh like, my God. I did not see it in one go, but I, I might go if it's a, like in IMAX for a week. I might be interested. Depends on what's going on in my life. Yes. If it's, if it's really sad, I'll go. <laughs> if, I, if I have anything going on, I'll just wish that I went and not go. Yeah. It's, uh, what is it? Tom Cruise. Back to the movies. <laughs> the, the video of him going to see. Um, I forgot what Tenet. was the movie. Tenet. Tenet. Yeah. yeah. Oh, <laughs> have you guys seen the new one that Ben Diesel did that's very similar? No, no. I haven't. It's half an ad for... Fast and Furious 9, and it's half him saying, we all, we all miss the magic <laughs> of the movies. <laughs> it's good shit. Highly recommend. Yes. King shit. King shit. I'll be there. F9 baby opening night. <laughs> is, is it crazy that I have never seen a Fast and Furious movie in my life? It's getting to that point. I have not seen most of those. It's, I, I need I mean, to. It's, it looks so fun. It's it's absolutely the best superhero franchise we have. <laughs> <laughs> okay, and when you put it like that, there's like I don't know. There's no reason not for, for me not to watch it. I watched the first one yesterday for the first time. They were showing it in a movie theater nearby because I I think they're mm-hmm. doing some theaters are doing like we're going to show each of them every Friday until the new one opens. Yeah, first one is just a grounded movie about a bunch of people who like race cars and then they like still steal dvds players or shit like that mm-hmm. and then like halfway through the franchise they just decide to like veer into full superhero mode <laughs> it's something if you guys have not seen all of them i'm about to catch up with the ones that i've missed that might be my you know summer plan this year <laughs> we'll see i feel like i've only seen tokyo drift and that's the only one i've seen it's a good movie okay should we wrap it up russell thank you so much for joining us this was a really fun conversation is there anything that you want to direct our listeners to? Uh, I have a Twitter. <laughs> Spoken plug. so regretfully. <laughs> I, yeah. Uh, I'm just trying to remember what my username is. I think it's Russell underscore Golds, G-O-L-D-S. That has a link to my work. You can see it as announcements about what I'm up to, what I've been developing. Fun stuff. Hopefully some of them get made. Okay. Well... Thank you all for listening to this episode of Deep Cut. Please rate and review because that helps us keep making the show. Be sure to subscribe to us where you listen to podcasts so you'll know when our next episode drops. You can give us a follow on Twitter and Instagram at Deep Cut Pod. Join us to talk about our movies on our Discord server, to which you'll find a link in the description below. Thank you to Justina Yam for our beautiful artwork. I'm Wilson. I'm Ben. I'm Eli. I'm Russell. Take care, and we're looking forward to talking about more movies with you next time. All right, everyone, give me your best Kalel no on three. One, two, three. Kalel no! No! no. <laughs> <laughs>